Y'all tell the truth now. How many of you had um, candy for breakfast this morning? <laughs> Come on, raise them up. That's right, I know you did. Parent, Mom and Dad, tell the truth. I know y'all stole that candy from your babies this morning before they got up. Yes. Halloween, what, what, a, what, a, what a great opportunity to teach our kids some financial responsibility, huh? Pour out all their candy in the floor and just separate it out. 10% for tithes, right? 5, 10% for giving and offering above the tithe. 20% to tithes offering, charitable giving through the year. 30% to taxes, right? 7% for, in, you got to have the candy insured. 7% for insurance. 5% for the dentist. You're going to have to go to the dentist after you eat all that candy. Maybe 10% for the dentist. 5% for a live stream to have something to watch while you eat the candy. Right? 5% for internet service to post pictures of your candy. 5% for the gym to work off that candy. Right? 10% for savings for a rainy day. You add all that up, I think we're at about 92% of your candy's gone before you even get it. Right? Yeah, what a great opportunity to teach them some financial responsibilities. It's also a good time to, to remind our families about the, the devil and his demons. I'm not talking about ghost stories and goblins. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual warfare, the text in Scripture that point to devil, the devil and his demons. What a great opportunity to tell them the truth. One student went to student camp at the church, came back, told his dad, Dad, they... They told us all, it was spiritual warfare was a theme. They told us all about the devil and demons. Dad, I'm scared to death. Would you pray for me to be safe? Pray that I'm safe. His dad said, I'm not praying for you to be safe. I will pray that you'll be dangerous, so dangerous that when you enter the room, the demons will flee. And, and, and the son said, well, Dad, then pray that I'm really, really, really dangerous. <laughs> I don't know if you've gotten to the place in, in your walk with Jesus if you've stopped asking him to give you a safe life and start asking him to make you a dangerous disciple. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning, dangerous disciples. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, the end of the chapter, Matthew 10, the beginning of the chapter, Jesus has a formula that really lays out for us what it looks like to be a dangerous disciple. So Matthew 9, verse 35, if you're there, say I'm there. You journaled through this about two weeks ago, uh, maybe a week ago this Friday. So here we go, John, uh, Matthew chapter nine, chapter 9, verse 35 through chapter 10, verse 15. So I'll start reading in verse 35 of Matthew 9. Here we go. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip 
and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out. Hmm. Instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Father, we pray, Lord, in and through and by the name of your Son, Jesus, that today you would soften our hearts, you would move out all distractions. God, you would pierce our hearts. You would give us obedience to obey. You would give us ears to hear as we receive your word and respond to it. And we ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said. Right, the takeaway today is worded this way, pretty simple. Dangerous disciples don't play it safe. God has not called us to play it safe. Dangerous disciples don't play it safe. So what I want to do is unpack right out of these scriptures four ways that dangerous disciples don't play it safe. Here's the first way. Number one, see the dangerous separation. There is a dangerous separation that is coming on judgment day where the sheep are separated from the goats and the saved are separated from the unsaved and the righteous are separated from the unrighteous. It's not Democrats separated from Republican. It's those who have trusted Christ separated from those who have not. That it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those who reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a dangerous separation. To hear, depart from me, you do of iniquity, I never knew you. Or to hear, well done, our good and faithful servant. It is dangerous separation. And we have to see that. We have to see it as Jesus saw it. And so to see that, you look at verse 35 through verse 37 here. We have to see where Jesus went. Where did Jesus go? The Bible tells us where he went. He went to all the cities and all the villages. Now somebody say all. Say all. All means each and every. It means any and all. It means that Jesus went to the highways, he went to the byways, he went to the out of the ways. He went to the country, he went to the city, he went to the educated, he went to the uneducated. He went to the house of Simon the leper and... He went to the house of Simon the Pharisee. There was no place, no person off limits for Jesus to go to. He, 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 he saw them and he had compassion. 
So we see where he went. He went to all. And scholars tell us probably 200 cities and villages, most likely about 3 million people during this time that Jesus has encountered along his journey so far. It's a lot of people. So he's going to all of them. It doesn't matter if one's more dangerous than the other. Right? Paul even, Paul, in Paul's resume of suffering in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 25, Paul said he was in danger from, and there's just a list, danger from robbers, danger from rivers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, danger, danger, danger. Dangerous disciples don't play it safe. We don't. We go where God calls us. And here's a newsflash. All the easy places are taken. Amen? They're all taken. God is calling us to the difficult, hard places that aren't taken. He saw them. He had compassion. Well, why did he go? We see where he went, but why did he go there? We need to see why Jesus went. Well, it tells us right here. Just look at the text. Verse 35. He went to teach in their synagogues. Synagogues is where people came to sing psalms. They came to hear the scripture read. They came to worship. It was a gathering place. So Jesus goes to where the people are. He goes to where the people are attracted to the synagogue. Jesus was attracted to where the crowds were. And so he goes there and he attracts more and more people as he goes. And he's teaching them who God is. And he's teaching them what God wants them to be. And he's teaching them that we've all fall short of the righteousness of God. That we're separated from this dangerous separation. That man, because of our sin, we've been separated from our creator. And that's dangerous. And then he proclaims to them the good news. He tells them the bad news, that we're separated from God. But then he, look what it says, he taught them in the synagogue. But he also proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He heralded the gospel. Teaching means we explain, we impart wisdom. We impart knowledge. It's an imparting of knowledge and instruction and wisdom. That's teaching. Preaching is heralding. It's proclaiming. Like the king's messenger proclaims the king's message. That is preaching, is heralding. And he did both. He heralded the good news. And here's what Jesus, why did Jesus say the kingdom is at hand? Here's the gospel. The kingdom was near, or the kingdom is near, because the king is here. Jesus, the awaited king, had come. And so he's proclaiming to them this good news. That yes, you're separated from God, but the Savior has come who's going to save his People, the lost sheep of Israel, we see down in chapter 10, from their sins. And so they're very excited to hear Jesus teach. And they even said, he teaches as one who has authority. Like they knew there was something about this Jesus. And so we have to see the dangerous separation. And I know it's good to heed good advice. Have you ever heeded some good advice? And thankful that you did that. That's good to do. It's good to heed good advice. It's good to have good behavior. It's good to do good deeds. But good advice, good behavior, good deeds, that's not the gospel. Sure, it's good to be in a good environment. I hope we're all in good environments at home and at work. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to listen to good podcasts. I love listening to good podcasts. That's good. It's good to appreciate good religion. There's nothing wrong with that. There's good to, to give away uh, uh, food at, 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 at a food giveaway. Thank you for doing that on Friday, by the way. Thank you. Well, it looks like we're going to have some more opportunities to do this through the end of the year. So we gave away over 1,600 boxes you did in four hours. So thank you. 
We'll have more to do probably. Those things are good, but again, good vibes, good podcast, good fortune, good giveaways, good habits, good manners. They're not the gospel. The gospel is the kingdom is here because the king of the kingdom is here. That's the good news of the gospel. So Jesus is proclaiming this to them. And then look what happens. Not only did he come to teach them, he came to touch them. He heals them. Every disease and every affliction. Man, this is a problem. You know that little, say all again, that little word all. That little pesky word all. That's a huge problem for so-called faith healers. That's a big problem. Because Jesus didn't come and just heal the people that he could fake their healing. That's not what he did. He came and healed every disease and every affliction. And if you put your faith in him, one day, every disease and every affliction that you've ever faced will be gone. You'll be with him in heaven. What a glorious thought. What a glorious thought. This is also a problem for us because oftentimes, I know in my life, I want Jesus to operate on my terms. Jesus, I, I want to talk to people, and I want to talk to people who like me. I want to share the gospel with people who are like me or who, who like me, right? Oftentimes, we fall into that rut. I don't want to go to a strange place, an uncomfortable place, and share the gospel. I want, Jesus, I want you to operate on my terms. Right? But that's the American way. Jesus doesn't operate on our terms. It's not the American way. Jesus operates on his own terms, and that's the narrow way. That's what Jesus does. So he sees them. He teaches them. He's proclaiming to them. He's healing them. Why is all this happening? I think we get a hint of this in verse number 36. Look at it with us. When he saw the crowds. You can look at something without seeing it. You know that? You can look at something without seeing it. You can pass by something on Hickson Pike a thousand times and not even know it's there. You can look. Jesus, he saw the crowds. He saw them. And he was moved with compassion. Not only was his hand moved, his heart was moved. You know, when we were, had trick-or-treaters last night at, at our house, we had several come through, and I saw those crowds of kids and giving out some candy. And I thought what I wanted to do was instead of go buying all that candy, I was just going to collect all of our Chick-fil-A condiment packets, you know, the sauces that we've collected over the last, I don't know how long, and give those out. But that, they, they weren't too excited about getting Chick-fil-A sauce. They wanted candy. So I, we gave them candy. We, we, we see the crowds. But do we see the crowds? Do we have compassion for them? Like Jesus here, when he had compassion for them, it, it, the word is a deeply... A deep-seated move within. Like you're deeply moved from the inside. Like down in your intestines, deeply moved. Kind of like, you know, we use this phrase a lot, my heart goes out to you. And I mean, we're trying to put into words what we're feeling deep down. It just tears my heart out to hear that. Man, my heart goes out to you. I mean, And we are. We're deeply moved and we're trying to express that. That's what this means. When he had compassion on them... He's deeply moved, so much that it moved not only God's hand, but it moved God's heart. It moved the Lord's heart. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them. And Jesus still sees the crowd, and he still has compassion on them, because people are still harassed. There's still, this word harassed here, in verse 
Number 36, it means to be mangled and battered and bruised and ripped apart. Like from the inside out, like there's no hope, like inwardly hopeless. That's what Jesus saw when he saw the crowds. And then he also saw them outwardly helpless, downtrodden and downcast and thrown down. So they were without hope. They were without help. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I, don't, I can't think of a more graphic description of danger than a sheep without a shepherd. I mean, think about that. A sheep without a shepherd. What danger is a sheep in without a shepherd? Well, they can't find food, right? They may walk off a cliff. They may be stolen. They may be eaten by predators. It's dangerous. This is a dangerous separation we see in verse 36. Sheep without a shepherd. That is dangerous. And Jesus saw that. Like he looked past the facades and he saw this person for who they really were. That they were without help. They were without hope. They were like a sheep with no shepherd. To provide for them or to protect them. And he had compassion on them. How many of you long for heaven? Oh, aren't you, aren't, don't you long for heaven? Heaven's going to be so legit. Don't you know that? In heaven, there is no sheep without a shepherd. That, that doesn't exist in heaven. There's no separation. There's no sea. There's no cliff to walk off and fall into the sea. There's no sea. There's no sickness. There's no sin. There's no sorrow. Man, it's going to be legit. But meanwhile... We have to see, meanwhile, we have to see this dangerous separation that our friends are in and our family may be in and our coworkers may be in, our neighbors may be in. They may be these sheep without a shepherd. 154,937 people today are going to die without Christ. Two people every second die and go to hell. Not because they're bad people, because they are sheep without a shepherd. Because they don't know who Jesus is and they've not met him. So every two seconds... That should break our hearts. It should. But it won't until we see them as Jesus saw them. And Jesus said as much. Look at what he says. The harvest is huge. That's what Jesus is saying. The harvest is huge. It's plentiful. It's massive. But the number of laborers are pitiful. They're just pitiful. They're just so few. And when we read that, I wonder if it moves us, if we just read past it. You know, 2005, August 31st, two, two days after Hurricane Katrina swept through New Orleans, the regional FEMA director named Marty in New Orleans, he emailed his boss, the, the director of FEMA, with this email. Two days after Katrina in New Orleans, uh, the regional director emailed his boss and said this, Sir, I know that you know the situation is past critical. Here are some things you may not know. Hotels are kicking people out. Thousands are gathered in the streets with no food and no water. Hundreds still being rescued from homes. Patients are dying at our uh, disaster medical assistance tent. Many will die within hours. Evacuation in process. Plans for dome evacuation underway. But hotel situation adding to the problem as they're throwing people out. We're out of food, and we're running out of water. FEMA staff is working in deplorable conditions. The sooner we get the patients out, the sooner we can get our staff out. Phone connectivity is impossible. Here's how the director, his boss, responded. Listen to the insensitivity of this response. Here's how he responded. 
Thanks for the update. Anything specific I need to do or tweak? And when, I, when you read something like that, it, it made me think about this scripture. Jesus sees the crowds. He has compassion for them, right? They're sheep without a shepherd. And he sees them and he says as much. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And our response as a church, I'm talking about the church. Our response is, thanks for the update, Lord. Thanks for the update. Anything specific I need to do or tweak. The insensitivity in my own heart. When I see people like sheep without a shepherd, I just pray that God would have mercy on our souls and give us his compassion and let us see him through our eyes. Dangerous disciples don't play it safe. We don't. Number two, second way that dangerous disciples don't play it safe. We need to pray dangerous prayers. We need to pray dangerous prayers. This prayer in verse 38, I would argue, is one of the most dangerous prayers in all of the Bible. Period. One of the most dangerous. And here it is. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Don't mess up that formula. It's there for a reason. It's laid out that way for a reason. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest for him to send out laborers into his harvest. Dangerous. The word pray earnestly means to implore, to beg, to plead, to beseech. It means to pray with urgency. Here's what I see far too often. When it comes to Vocational ministry, whatever that might be, uh, mission field, missionaries, church ministry, whatever that might be, um, on a vocational level, or even not on a vocational level. I see so many folks that when tough times come, when COVID hits, or Hurricane Katrina. I can't tell you the number of pastors. And again, for you to pastor a church or be on staff at a church or be a missionary vocationally or in ministry, you have to be either called by God or clinically insane. One of the two. One of the two. And I've seen so many, when tough time come, like Hurricane Katrina or COVID-19, and something comes like that, so many of them walk away. They walk out on their church, they walk away. Why is that? Because they weren't called by God. Now, I know there's other reasons, but one of the reasons is they're called by their mama, their daddy, their family, the church, but not by God. That's why he says very clearly, don't beg people to go. You beg God to call people, raise them up, to send them out to go. Beg God for that. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. It's not ours. So pray earnestly to him to send them out. And then we see difficult times come and we... We stop praying dangerous prayers. It's time to pray dangerous prayers. And why is this prayer so dangerous? Let me give you some reasons why this prayer is so dangerous. First of all, Jesus is ready to do things we're not used to, church. He's ready. Today, we're doing something we're not used to. I'm not used to preaching this early, and you're not used to listening to it this early, right? (laughs) 
Right. So we're doing something we're not used to today. I pray that God will do something through this that we're not used to. Praise God. He's ready to do something that we're not used to. And I know that so many and nobly want prayers to go back in school. I know that. What a great day that would be if we could, if we could have prayer a part of the everyday school. And that would be fantastic in public schools. But when are we going to get to the place where we desire to see prayer back in our homes? Not the school, in our homes. I mean, families praying, dangerous prayer, like God to do something that we're not used to. God, would you do something we're not used to? Why is this prayer so dangerous? Secondly, it's dangerous because Jesus is ready to send laborers. This is a prayer he's going to (laughs) answer. He will answer this prayer. Some of you pray and say, God doesn't answer my prayers. I've tried it, Pastor. It doesn't work. He don't answer them. Well, you may be praying the wrong prayers. Quit. Stop praying for things that you value more than Jesus. Stop that. And start praying for things that Jesus values. If you want to see God answer a prayer, pray this prayer. He's ready to answer. He's ready to send laborers. He is so ready. This is another reason why it's dangerous. Jesus is ready to send you as a laborer. This is what we, we don't, if you pray this dangerous prayer, you pray it at your own risk, you got to be ready to be the one that he sends. So again, I'm warning you, this is dangerous praying here, but God has called us to do that. Pray earnestly. God wants to answer these kind of prayers. Have you ever tried to plug in your phone and and it won't charge? Am I the only person that has that problem? I probably am. But I'll take that cord and plug it in and plug it in and plug it in. I've plugged it in, gone to bed, and it never charges all night long. That ever happened to anybody? Plug it in. The other day I plugged it in. For the, on the first try, I did it correctly. And I felt like a superhero. Like I felt like I, I was winning. Because the first time I plugged it in. Hey, if you want to plug into the power of the Holy Spirit, And see, God answer, sincerely answer some dangerous prayers. Pray prayers like this. Pray what God calls us to pray. Pray for God to raise up and send out laborers into his harvest. Dangerous disciples, we don't play it safe. We pray dangerous prayers. Number three, we answer the dangerous calling. This is a very dangerous calling. It's very interesting to me what happens uh, from chapter 9 to chapter 10. It's very interesting. Jesus calls his disciples, the 12 disciples, his disciples to pray. To pray earnestly. To send out laborers into his harvest. And then look what happens in chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples. Verse 1, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out. (laughs) The ones that prayed... For the Lord to send people out are the ones he sent out. That's not an accident. Right? Answer the dangerous calling. And not only does he send those out who pray for him to send some out. But notice how he sent them out. There's a word here in between these names. And these names are paired together. There's 12 of them. So that's six pairs. Okay? So you've got the names. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So, and you see that all throughout this. He sends them out two by two. Why? Because the the harvest is massive. It's huge. And it's not decreasing. 
It's increasing. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the places where we need missionaries the most are not the easy places. They're already taken. It's the difficult, hard places. The harvest is increasing. You know, I have the privilege of serving on our International Mission Board. The International Mission Board is our arm of the Southern Baptist Convention that sends missionaries all over the world. And every Southern Baptist church cooperates as we give money to the cooperative program. A portion of that goes to the International Mission Board. And we raise up resources and people and send out young couples, singles. Uh, We send out retired couples families all over the world to take the gospel to the uttermost. That's a part of our Southern Baptist Convention. We send out these missionaries. And I have the privilege of being on the International Mission Board, and I tell you, it's been eye-opening. For young families with children that are going to the field, uh, for singles that are going on the field, you know, like college students right out of college, or for young marrieds that are going to the field, or for young families with children that are going to the field, or for just families with children that are going to the field. The number one obstacle, this is tragic, church, tragic. And we need to pray that God would have mercy on us as the church. The number one obstacle, and we get this prayer request all the time. As trustees, we interview these candidates, we pray with them, we send them out. The number one prayer, I don't care what candidate it is, if they're young, if they have children, the number one obstacle to new missionaries being sent to the field is the concern of Christian parents not wanting them to go. That's the number. God have mercy on our soul. He has called us to go. Dangerous, sure. But dangerous disciples, we don't play it safe. And it's tragic. I'm not talking about the parents of the world, ungodly parents. I'm talking about parents in the church. And I know one day God very well may call Brady and Bell to go to Asia and Africa. I know that. And they may have grandchildren at the time. Or they may have children. That'll be our grandchildren. That'll be tough. I I can't imagine how difficult that'll be. But God have mercy that we will be supportive in sending them out. God, this is not a game. God is calling his church to rise up and go to the sheep that have no shepherd. British shepherds. And you say, well, that's just too hard. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. It's hard to share our faith. It's, it's, it's hard to engage. It's hard to be intentional. It's, it's hard with battling this flesh in this world. It's hard to go and sacrifice. It's hard. I know it. Think about it like this. British shepherds, they'll take their sheep and they'll dip them and submerge them in antiseptic, a vat of antiseptic, and they'll submerge them. And the sheep don't like it. They don't want to be in there. And they try to get out, and sheepdogs are all around this vat, keeping them in the vat. They don't want to be in the vat. But they're in the vat because they have good shepherds who don't want them to die from diseases or die from parasites, so they got them in the antiseptic in the vat. They don't like it. One writer said, man, wouldn't it be great to just explain to the sheep what's happening? Hey, let me explain to you what's going on. This is for your good. You have a good shepherd, and this is for your good, that you won't die from disease or you won't die from parasites. But you can't explain that to a sheep. It's it's, it's too high for them to understand. It's too wonderful for them to comprehend. Church, we have a good shepherd. We have a good shepherd. 
And he's going to, yes, he's going to send you into difficult places and difficult circumstances. And you're going to go through trials and you're going to go through tribulation. But man, if we could just understand, and we can't. It, it's too wonderful and too high for us to understand. But it's all for his glory and it's for our good. And we need to get to the place where we'll answer these dangerous calls. Number four, fourth way that dangerous disciples don't play it safe. Go and have gospel conversations. Go have dangerous gospel conversations. These 12 are sent out. They are sent out to have dangerous gospel conversations. How do you know they're dangerous? Well, they're going to the lost sheep of Israel. That's not going to be easy. Number two, they're to shake the dust off their feet when people reject the gospel. Hey, listen, we can't shake dust off our feet if we don't have dust on our feet. Can we? We got to go to get some dust on our feet. This tent revival I'm going to preach at, JP is the pastor there, a buddy of mine, and he, he texted me and said, hey, make sure you wear some shoes you don't mind getting, getting dirty because this hurricane has just messed everything up. Listen, I, that's, I, I don't like my shoes being dirty. Right? And I know I've got a problem. I've got, listen, I've got... A grown man should not have as many shoes as I have. I know that. I'm aware of that. I know that. But if you, we don't go get them dirty and dusty, taking the gospel, gospel shoes of peace, taking them to the byways, the highways, the out of the ways, how are the sheep that are lost without a shepherd going to hear? How are they going to know if someone doesn't tell them? Intentionality is the key that unlocks dangerous gospel conversations. We have to be intentional. So he tells them in verse 7, and proclaim as you go. Tell as you go. There are three huge methods of evangelism. Come and see. You come and you hear the gospel. You come to our church, either online or in person, you'll hear the gospel. The second one is we go and tell. We go to a place. We go to the community kitchen. We go nationally or internationally on missions and we tell. The third way is everyday life. Tell as you go. Proclaim as you go, Jesus says. And so they're going and having these conversations. And it's dangerous. And obedience to this call is not legalistic. It's not legalistic salvation to obey this call. Obedience to this call is lordship salvation. We obey him and we go. Now, I know we have other things that are bombarding us from the outside, right? We've got threats. Uh, th think about our, as a nation, think about it like this, our, our power grid as a nation. We've got threats of foreign cyber attacks, hackers that will hack in and shut us down. And there's all these threats from outside. But do you know the greatest threat to our American power grid is something that's within? It's not something without. It's something within. Only without one time has our American power grid been shut down by a foreign hacker. But 623 times, 623 times, there's a little small sneaky rodent called a squirrel that has shut down our power grid 623 times. From within, not from without, from within. That's where the danger is. That's, what, that's what's keeping us from being dangerous disciples not playing it safe. I had a church member recently told me that his son was packing a shoebox. If you don't have your shoebox, grab one and get it packed up. And he was writing a letter to the little kid who will get the, the, the shoebox. He was writing the letter, and he yelled out from the other room, Hey, Dad, how do you spell squirrel? So he spelled S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L, squirrel. And then the dad read the letter a few minutes later and discovered, Oh, he wasn't asking me how to spell squirrel. He was asking me how to spell the world. And he wrote, For God so loved the squirrel. <laughs> Yeah, God loves a squirrel. Sure he does. He loves you and he loves me. Even when we have these squirrels within us, 
that are more dangerous than the threats from without. And Jesus says, you proclaim as you go. And he gives them instruction. And he tells them, this is a dangerous separation. It's going to take dangerous prayers. You're going to have to answer this dangerous calling. And you're going to have to go and have dangerous gospel conversations. Why do dangerous disciples not play it safe? Here's why. Jesus didn't come to play it safe. You know this, right? Jesus didn't come to play it safe. Jesus, think about it. He was baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, who ended up being beheaded. That's, that's not playing it safe. He came and, and he delivered the demoniac from a legion of demons. That's not playing it safe. He endured the cross to the end. That's not playing it safe. He asked the Father to forgive the unforgiven. That's not playing it safe. His grave gave way to grace. Praise God for that, but that's not safe. He headed to the hill called Calvary. So for those of us who are headed to hell can now be headed to heaven. He didn't play it safe. Listen, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but he came to us in the form of an infant. That is not safe. That is vulnerable. That's not safe. He came as the king of the Jews in the days of King Herod, who was king over the Jews. That's certainly not safe. He came low and humbled in a cradle to be high and lifted up on the cross. That's not safe. He, came, he was so moved by the leper's words, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, that he actually removed the leper's leprosy. He touched someone you don't touch. That's not safe. He didn't play it safe. Jesus didn't come to make everything go back to normal. I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to that just want things to go back to normal. I just want it to go back to normal. I just want it to go back to normal. Jesus didn't come to make everything go back to normal. He came to make everything new. That's not playing it safe. Jesus came as the one mediator between God and man. Not one of many mediators between man and man, but he came to take on the wrath of God. That is not safe. If you're without Christ, you're under the wrath of God, and that is not a safe place to be. Jesus came and took that place for you. And if you'll give your life to him, his righteousness will be transferred to you, and you will not suffer the wrath of God. Jesus has already paid that price. Jesus didn't come to follow the status quo. He came to fulfill the Old Testament quotes. That's why he came. He didn't come to play it safe. And notice, when he came, he wasn't overturning tables at the tax booth. He didn't go into Matthew's tax booth and say, Matthew, you're stealing from everybody, and take his, take his table and flip it on him. He didn't go in to overturn the tables at the tax booth. Jesus came to overturn the tables in the temple. He didn't come to overturn the tables at the, at, at the crack house or the ale house or the brew house or the camp house. He didn't come to overturn tables at the farmhouse, the jail house, the nut house, the mad house, the schoolhouse. He didn't come to overturn them at Waffle House or the White House. He came to overturn tables in the church house. And today, there's a table that Jesus is overturning in your life, and it's keeping you from being a dangerous disciple. And it's keeping you to playing it safe. And Jesus is saying, I'm overturning this table for your good and for my glory. It's not something we're used to, I know. It's not something we like, I know. It may make us uncomfortable, fine. But Jesus has called us to live radically, dangerously for him. Dangerous disciples don't play it safe. So what is that table he's overturning in your heart and in your life today? Maybe you're here and you say, well, I've never trusted Christ. Well, you can't be a dangerous disciple until you become a disciple. And the way you do that is you turn from going your own way and you turn to Jesus and put your faith and trust in him.
So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship. Father, it's time for us to respond to your word. I pray that people will text the word connect or Jesus to 79969 and let us know what decision they've made for you today, what questions they may have about you and your gospel today. Father, I pray for any man, woman, boy, or girl who has a, has a table that you're overturning even as we speak. And I pray they'll come to these steps. They'll get on their face before Almighty God as couples, as, uh, by themselves, or as families and confess their sin to you right now. Lord, I pray for everybody watching or worshiping with us online or even in this room that have made a decision today to follow you, to be baptized for church membership, that they would let us know and text that message to 79969. God, it's time for your people to live radically, dangerously for you. It's time for us to stop playing games and stop playing it safe. God, would you be pleased with the worship of your people today? In Jesus' name we ask it. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's worship, church.